evidence and answers. Why should Christians care about the arts? How does truth, goodness, and beauty relate to Christian faith? Our creativity expressed in the arts are part of the image of God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat and his guest, Dr. Joel Paulus, will continue with part two of a discussion they had the last time we were together regarding Christianity and the arts. Every object, especially one that has been created as a work of art to communicate, would have some truth, goodness, and beauty intrinsic to it, which existed prior, but now finds itself in the object that is known by the observer. And truth and goodness, of course, are a little more tricky to hash out as far as artworks go, as far as, but it's easy enough to say that an artwork that is good is going to be a true work of art. Okay, true to its form. It all comes back to form for an artwork. But the beauty is going to be a subset of those two. And that's what we really see when, and talk about when it comes to artwork. We talk about, wow, that was a beautiful piece of music. That was a beautiful story. That was a beautiful painting or even in nature, a beautiful sunset, beautiful mountain, a beautiful trees, beautiful beach. That's what we're, we're experiencing through our senses. Those are objective qualities that can be recognized universally. And then we make subjective claims about them. Wow, I find that beautiful. That's moving. I'm moved by that. So the subject is involved too. But we're looking at something universal that would have, for instance, in beauty, we would define that as something having form, clarity, and proportion. And when something has those things, form, clarity, and proportion, Something happens that captures our attention and our imagination. And that's really when, when beauty, when we're experiencing the being, the goodness, truth, and beauty, that's what we react to. That's what draws us in. And that's what can point us toward the heavenlies, point us toward the creator, knowing that it didn't come into existence by itself, but was designed and has a purpose. Yes, you know, like an artist will create a painting for his viewers to enjoy. A musician will create music for their people to enjoy. And it seems like God created a beautiful earth and creation and universe for those he loved and valued, you know, to enjoy. Yes, absolutely. The goodness of the earth, the beauty of the earth, the fact that we still have it, even though we live in a fallen world is, is quite something amazing to think of in itself. These experiences are, yes, gifts from God, and they are contingent. They are finite glimpses of his being, something that like C.S. Lewis would call in his book, Letters to Malcolm, a patch of God light. If you're walking through the forest and there's trees, but you see little glimpses of light, then you know that there's a sun beyond the, the shadows that's causing that glimpse of or he calls a patch of God light, that your mind would see the light and immediately go upward knowing that there's a source for it. So these, these experiences of beauty, whether in nature or in art, are like these patches of light in the dark forest that we see it and, it, and we know that there's something beyond the darkness that's the source of this glimmer of goodness and beauty and truth that we have here. But we desire 
of course, we desire all of it because we're made, we're made to experience God in full. Just here, we, have a, we see through a mirror darkly. <laughs> yeah, which leads to my next question, and it's kind of a broad one here, but when I became a Christian, I started viewing the world differently. I couldn't explain it or explain why, but I was viewing the sciences differently. I was viewing people and relationships and social dynamics and politics differently. And even the arts, I was viewing different. I couldn't tell you why, but tell us, you know, the difference in how a Christian views art, whether he's watching a Phantom of the Opera or a movie or listening to a song or watching, you know, a dance performance. How does a Christian view art different or should view art differently? Yes, I would say perhaps ought to view art differently. And I think we'll begin to automatically, because their worldview begins to change the more they study, they're transformed, they're a new creature. And I think the key is whether or not a Christian is watching art actively or passively. You can watch something passively and right. not contemplate yeah. it. But as a Christian, I think we should, you know, our mind should be active, bringing every thought captive to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hear people all the time say, I saw this play or I, I saw this film, and I really saw some Christian themes in there. And I think that the non-Christian might not be able to pick those out quite so easily. They might be moved. I was in a, a show once where audience members came up to me afterwards and said, I was so moved by that, but I, ha- I, I don't know why. And I told them, well, I can tell you why. That was based on a biblical story. <laughs> and so we begin to use it as a means for evangelism, explaining, well, that was moving because the story is universal to all mankind. So, yes, I think Christians will recognize art. I, I think we also need to realize that, yes, there's art out there that isn't always going to be good, true, and beautiful. And those types of things need to not be avoided, but they need to be approached with caution and wisdom. Uh, because we do live in a fallen world, and I will say this, I think it's dishonest for Christians to only have sugar-coated rainbows and sunshine, because that's not the way the world is. So we're not being truthful if we don't acknowledge the fact that there is sin and death in the world, but not to glorify it, and we need to have wisdom. And of course, the, the Old Testament does this. The Old Testament is full, and even the New Testament has some bad things in it, but we don't dwell on it. We use that to say, look, this is the way the world is, and it's a universal experience, and it's terrible, but there is hope. And the Christian artist should not only address the problem or not only look for the problem or glorify in it or or rest in it or wallow in it, but show the way out, show that there's hope. And, uh, you know, be putting things in the world or looking for the good in the middle of a work of art that is perhaps not completely edifying for what it is, and then move on. But yes, now, which will swing into a, a subset of this, you know, Christian artists should be doing the same thing, but not glorifying the darkness that we have in the world, but if address it, but also give the hope, give the answer, show that there is redemption in the, in the fallenness, but not to completely shy away from it. Otherwise, that's a, a, just another form of being dishonest. Yeah, Joel, out here in the Pacific and in Asia, one of the big phenomenons out here is the Korean soap operas. You know, okay. I, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but uh, I have. they're ex- <laughs> extremely popular out here in Asia and the Pacific. And they're good, they're clean, a lot of them have a lot of humor in it. But they always end in some kind of tragedy. 
You know, it, it, it's always, it doesn't have the happy ending. The guy gets the girl and they go riding off in the sunset kind of thing. It, it's what you're talking about. The girlfriend dies of cancer. You know, mm. the good guy's company gets bankrupt and the bad guy seems to ride off in success and leave us wondering, oh, what's going to happen to this great family who's just lost their business and things. And I, I think it's tremendously popular because people relate to that, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's reality. That's how the world is. You know, right. I, I think people resonate with that. But one of the things missing in the Korean soap opera, Japanese soap, Chinese sagas is what you're talking about. You're kind of left like, oh, you know, is there hope? That's right. You know, that's right. And, and I think that's where as far as, you know, what you're talking about, the, the Christian message can be very powerful in those kind of arenas. Yes, absolutely. It's filling in the rest of the story. That that's not the end. It doesn't have to be the end. <laughs> There's a way out. There is an, there is hope. But even the Psalms were a great example. Most every Psalm has some darkness or lament to it. Some of them end well, and others, like Psalm 88, don't. They just kind of leave you in the doldrums because some days are like that. But the book of Psalms as a whole, extremely hopeful. Yes, it, it paints the whole range of, of life and all, all the highs and the lows. And certainly uh, Jesus himself didn't make himself immune from the highs and the lows while he was walking on the earth. Yes, you know. And Jill, you know, from what I understand, I think the purpose of art originally was, you know, for the people to honor God and celebrate his creation and, and to promote truth in creative ways. And But today the focus seems to be on stimulating an emotional response from the audience. You know, and when the focus turns to purely entertaining, you know, does art really lose its punch and its purpose? Absolutely. Yes. The, biblically, art, the first artist in the Bible, that God ordains them to make the furniture of the tabernacle. We have art being seen as legitimate uses of worship, song and dance, and of course, uh, literature and, and through the scriptures. All of those are legitimate forms of praise and worship. Yes, that is it's a very powerful thing. I'd say that the story of the Wizard of Oz, the uh, slippers, Dorothy's slippers, the Wicked Witch wants them very, very badly because she says, and of course the good, you know, this is all story, you know, the good Glinda says, they must be very powerful, otherwise she wouldn't want them so badly. And the Wicked Witch, you know, is trying to get them. And, and the arts are kind of like that. Sometimes I think the church doesn't know. They have this a gift from God, and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how powerful it is. But Satan is like, give those to me because I can use this to just wreck the world. Because the arts like, just get right into our imagination. They come in through all of our sense gates and influence us. So, yes, that's why with, with great caution as Christian artists, we need to be very careful that we don't fall into entertainment. I was in a... Uh, which is not bad in itself. There, you know, there, there is arts and entertainment, and I would make that distinction clear. We have uh, the arts, which uh, you know have your what we sometimes would call high art or fine arts, and then we have the entertainment, the more popular uh, level arts that are for diversion rather than contemplation. So we could throw television and pop music into this uh, category, comedic comedy, and those types of things, diversion, and. Sometimes I think, you know, even preaching, pastors, it's a very fine line to walk. I, I think today I see more entertainment sometimes mm-hmm. from, the, from yeah. the pulpit than I do edification. And uh, it's a, something that when I speak, I'm very careful. I do not want to cross the line over to being an 
entertainer. You want to be a communicator. And the other side of that is if you give away the answer, here's the problem with most artists that would have what separates good art from bad art is that a good art doesn't give away the answer to its message overtly. Mm. Good art, the message is discovered by Mm. the audience. Ah. Otherwise, what we have is, you know, moralizing. In Christian circles, if a person wants to be an artist and, and communicate overtly the Christian message, they perhaps would be better as a preacher. As an artist, you want the Christian worldview to influence the art, and the message comes through more powerfully that way than if you give the answer away at the end or up front. Then we get into the territory of propaganda, where the art becomes a utility. This art is for the use of XYZ, and I'm going to create this in order to elicit this response, either emotional response or to persuade somebody to change their mind. And I think that's a misuse of the arts. You bring up a great point. I remember Les Miserables is a great musical that people just love. Yeah. But there's a tremendous redemption story in there. That's you know, right. And, and when I'm done, you know, we go out for coffee and I'm talking with my non-Christian friends and, and they just they're raving about it. And I said, man, what was the story? Javert and Jean Valjean and all this. And I said, man, there's a redemption story in there. And they catch on to it right away. I say, uh, what attracts us to that redemption story? You know, yes. and, and, and it points back to the redemption story of Christ. But like you said, they discover it. It's not blatant out there, you know. Right, exactly. I don't think Victor Hugo set out to write a Christian novel overtly, Mm -hmm. but it's in there. (laughs) Exactly. I think that's part of what makes it so powerful. It's very attractive. It's the story that we all need to hear. Rings true with deepest needs, with our deepest desires. And I think what, what you said, you know, that art can be a powerful tool to communicate truth, but also it can be twisted and perverted. And I think when there are movies, you know, Les Miserables and, and others, there's a tremendously moving experience, but a message of truth is presented there compared to, you know, the kind of movies we see is just filled with sex and violence and just shoot them up, kind of just sure. stimulate your audience or kind of rap music that uh, just preaches, you know, cop killing or whatever. I see a big difference between that and the kind of rap that may communicate messages that are really profound and true. It may not be blatantly Christian, but it's presenting some kind of truth and moral value in its message. I, I see a big difference between those two and how art is used. Yes, that's exactly right. And this argument goes all the way back to Plato. That's why he didn't want artists in his republic. Wow. <laughs> because it would get people's emotions worked up in the wrong way and uh, get everybody angry or get everybody, you know, <laughs> if you don't have a gatekeeper, you know, artists, artists can be dangerous because they're the kind of music that you, you put into your head affects your moods and uh, different things like that. Like the arts, the arts are very powerful way of communicating and it can be used for manipulation. And sometimes we don't even realize that we are being influenced. So we need to be, again, actively, active participants in the arts, keeping everything captured to Christ. Yeah. Now explain to us the difference between, you know, the various kinds of arts out there. You talk about plastic and, and performing. 
Yes. Now, something we, just a grand division, we would say that art, when we say art, we are talking about a word that we're borrowing from Greek, both Greek and Latin roots. Techne is the Greek word for where we get ours from Latin, and it just means the same thing, to make something. We got our word technique from that same root, or technical, just making something. But then we divide it into two larger categories. Plastic arts, we would say, are materials that are shapeable or plastic moldable. So stones, clay, pigments, paper, things that are going to be shaped and moved into a, manipulated into a position, and then it's going to stay. And so it can be preserved for generations to come. And it's going to look, you go look at the Mona Lisa at the Louvre, you're going to see the same painting that, you know, was there 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And the performing arts, on the other hand, are not external to the person, but the person themselves. So the instrument is the body. And it's temporal. So we need time and space in order for the art form to play out. And so there's, a, there's something very different. We, you can't put dance or music. Well, yeah, I guess the music, if you put it on a CD or a record, it becomes a plastic art form. But a live performance of a symphony or a band or a dance performance or a play, we don't have museums with those continually going on. You can go and see. You have to either purchase a ticket or if there's a, a performance that you can go to openly, then it's experienced in time, in the present, with the people performing. And so those are the two greatest divisions of the arts, in plastic and performing. Yes. You know, that leads to my next question, that, you know, what is the theological significance of embodiment in the performing arts? Yes. With the plastic art, we have a maker, an object, and the maker can walk away from it and the object stands. The object can still tell us something about the maker, but it's a very deistic model to use if we're going to use this apologetically or look at it theologically, because God is present in the world still. He hasn't walked away from it. He hasn't wound up the world like a top and left it, and it's just spinning down, and one day it's going to just wind down and roll around and finally stop. God is actively involved in the world. He's active, he actively cares about the world, and God sent his son bodily into the world. And so the embodiment with the performing arts really directs our attention or has the power to direct our attention, this truth, this reality, that Christ coming into space and time and the, the central point of the Christian message is the bodily death, bodily burial, and the bodily resurrection of the Messiah. And so the body is extremely important to Christian theology. It all hangs on the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so our resurrection will follow after his first fruits. And so when we see performing arts, the bodies that have been trained from a raw, let's take the example of a dancer, a pedestrian, untrained, maybe even clumsy, after a certain amount of discipleship with someone who is training them, and they can move better, smoother, they're more stable, they can stand taller, they move with more finesse and ease and grace. And then you add others to that in real time and space, and there's a community there. There's awareness of others. There is a mindfulness. There is the combination of the spirit of the personality and the physical that's moving and communicating a, a story through gesture and action. And then when the audience is watching this, we have a communion between the active participant and the observing participant. 
And when that happens, there's a, a communion that happens between the two. And there's an energy that is created for a certain time and a certain place, and then the curtain comes down. And so we have a very linear, temporal, embodied, and meaningful event that happens, which is on a very small scale, a reflection of the grand story from Genesis to Revelation, where there's nothing, darkness, there's light, the stage comes on, and there's bodies that fill the environment, and there's a story to be told, perhaps a tragedy and a redemption even in the story. And, you know, the choreographer can even walk into the story himself and then walk out of it, and then everything comes to a great ending, a finale, and then there's applause. And so I think that's just, a, on a very small scale, a reflection of the, of the grand story from Genesis to Revelation. Wow. I guess the final question, you and I are trained in apologetics, and how might a Christian use art, you know, in apologetics? I mean, is there a connection here? <laughs> there is. It's not quite used directly. I think that the arts in general are best used um, indirectly, either as pre-evangelism, as, right. as Francis Schaeffer used mm-hmm. very well, as his book, Art in the Bible, is a, is a classic, and it's very easy to pick up and understand, very straightforward and very just an open, honest look at how art and the Bible are quite compatible and should be taken seriously by the Christian. Another way you can use arts and apologetics is, as we've been talking in our conversation, after a performance, uh, there may be something in the storyline was pertinent to a, a Bible story, or perhaps there's a theme in a play or a movie or an opera or a ballet that had a, a biblical or even a musical like uh, Le Mis has a, a biblical theme to it. And that can be a starting point for a conversation. And another way is to even talk about, you know, the training or how, look at those dancers on the stage and they look so effortless, but you know, they put a lot of work into that, but we don't see that. We enjoy the jumping and the turning. Oh, I wish I could move like that. I'd feel so free. And why does that desire, why does that in, intrigue us? Why would we even spend our time to, to go see this? Why would people spend years to train in order to do this? Well, it must speak to something, and that is that it speaks to that freedom, the freedom that we all long for in a metaphorical sense. I wish that I could always make the right decision. I feel like I want to do the right thing, but the world pulls me down. And I wish I had the kind of freedom that I see and experience in and how someone plays this piece of music, or, or how someone dances, and I just see for a glimpse, wow, they just seem to be that way. They seem to have overcome the bounds of this earth, and that just is uplifting to me, even though I know that at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're backstage in a sweat, and they're panting, or they're, you know, they're sore, they're tired, but for a moment, for that artistic performance, there's a transcendence that occurs upward. There's this uplifting sense of we know there's more than what we see. We know there has to be more because we desire more, and there must be some way to satisfy that. And what could that be? And I think that's the perfect time to start talking about the gospel, that there was a time of perfection, but sin has separated us from the source of that perfection, who is God. But he has provided a way for us to return to him, and one day in the future— we will be fully restored, but for the time being, we do have these glimpses. And with the Christian worldview, we, we see more and more of that, more than the non-Christian, I believe. 
Well, you've been listening to our interview with Dr. Joel Paulus, the adjunct professor at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Joel, if people want to get more information on the seminary that you teach at and and perhaps uh, converse with you a little bit, uh, where can they go for information on Southern Evangelical and and uh, information on you and the other professors out there? Yes, the website can be found at ses.edu, or you can email uh, me directly at the letter J, P-A-U-L-U-S, at ses.edu. Fantastic. You've been listening to our interview with Dr. Joe Paulus on Christianity and the Arts. So, Joel, thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website, Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hc mlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zupak.